Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am, of course, your host, Michael Sherlock. That has not changed. Yes, you can try and change the channel, but I will still be here. And all month long, we are talking about the mindful uh, times we can take in the month of May or any time. But I figured it was a great month to just actually maybe give ourselves all of a break. And my guest today is going to have a very different perspective on this that I think is going to re resonate with a lot of you. So Monica Parikh is a teacher, writer, lawyer, public speaker, and through her business called School of Love, New York City, NYC, she teaches a global audience about love, psychology, and higher consciousness, which is important. And she uses psychology, spirituality, and nonviolent communication and quantum physics in her curriculum. And that gives clients practical skills in emotional intelligence to build healthy relationships. Now, she's not just talking about this because it's something that, you know, she just figured out one day, maybe that was uh, something good to do. She actually found this to be her life calling after her own personal trauma. So after many years of having it all, terrific husband, fulfilling career, beautiful home. Uh, one day it kind of uh, came crashing down around her. Her husband said, all right, I'm done. Walked out the door. She's not seen him since, probably doesn't care anymore, <laughs> but no explanation, no fighting, no drama. So that's a great thing. But without answers or closure, you know, she felt lost. And because, you know, even though you may have an Ivy League education, it doesn't mean that you are complex, uh, you know, reaching the complexity of how to deal what matters most with all of, within all of us. And that is making sure we have a loving and happy relationship, not only with other people, but frankly, ourselves. And so she began studying psychology, spirituality, mindfulness, meditation, ethics, like I said, quantum physics, which is actually, I can't wait to talk about that and nonviolent communication from internationally renowned psychologists, coaches, and healers. And today she works primarily with women to help them do things like transcend grief, but also to really capture the essence of the love within themselves. So joining me today is my guest, Monica. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. Thank you for that introduction. Um, that was amazing. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You have so many um, incredible, you know, sound bites just in your, your um, bio alone that I like to hit as many of them as possible. And I do want to talk about quantum physics. And when we get to that point, because I really think that it's, it's incredible when we really open ourselves to how we control our mindset. Um, what it's not just about, you know, flipping a switch that there's a lot of science behind this too, but I had some of the highlights, but in your own words, tell us a little bit more about you and your business and how you help your clients to shock their potential. Yeah. So, you know, my business is really meant to be disruptive in two realms. The first is uh, the psychotherapeutic realm. And the second is dating and love uh, relationships. And so, you know, I guess the primary first inquiry for me was why did my marriage fail? 
And then once I delved pretty deep into that, you know, question, I started moving into bigger questions like why are marriages generally failing? Um, our divorce rate is more than 50%. And then of those people who stay married, seven out of 10 report being unhappy. And I think mm -hmm. we can see in the pandemic how important human relationships are. Um, but mm -hmm. we don't spend too much time, energy, or financial investment in actually learning how to be healthy and whole in relationships. And mm -hmm. I, so I started asking that question and I realized that, you know, our education system doesn't really teach us the principles we need to learn and that I was going to build a curriculum that would actually give those, uh, give people the tools. So, um, you know, in the very beginning, I started building this curriculum and testing it on a global audience. And I found that a lot of my clients were leaving their therapists, they were leaving their psychiatrists, and they were coming to me because I was giving them practical tools in psychology at a much faster rate than traditional psychotherapy typically works. Um, and mm -hmm. that's the benefit of being a coach and not a therapist. You know, mm -hmm. it's a back and forth conversation with a person. And you're basically, you know, giving them insight and giving them tools of self-awareness um, so that they can manage their own emotional life better and come into partnership in a, in a different way. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking at first I was, I was reflecting on kind of the statement where, you know, you have to have a driver's license to drive a car, but you know, you don't have to have any license to actually be able to have a child, you know? So I was thinking of that first, but I've never really thought about it from the relationship standpoint, because you're right. There's no part of our education system at all that deals with interpersonal communications um, or relationships or how to have how to have healthy ones. So we just have our role models or lack thereof with their own garbage and their own baggage and their successes and their failures. And then we wonder why we beat ourselves up when we aren't perfect at things, but we don't have a society that really teaches us this. Well, that was my thinking a hundred percent. And, you know, even if you're raised in a quote unquote, stable, healthy family, those families, just as much as broken homes or dysfunctional families have dysfunctions, they may yes. have traits that have been inherited or patterns of behavior that have been inherited through many generations and are very hardwired you know, not only in the cellular body, but in the mental, in your mind structure. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I really started to look at relationships, you know, let's just talk about some of the big failures. One of them, one of the biggest reasons people get divorced is money. Yeah. And we yeah. have no curriculum for financial literacy. We don't even have a template for when you go into marriage to make sure that two people are on the same page about right. what that vow or that covenant is, you mm -hmm. know, one of the stories I often tell is when my ex-husband uh, decided to leave, I said to him, but we took a vow. And he mm -hmm. said to me, well, your vow meant something to you that my vow didn't mean to me. And ah. I was so shocked by that because no one in my family had ever gotten divorced. Everyone in his family had gotten divorced. And the lawyer in me was like, oh, we never had a meeting of the minds about this contract. Like we just didn't define the terms and mm -hmm. say we're on the same page. But, you know, at the time I got married, I didn't even know the questions to ask. 
Right. So that's what right. I try to give women a toolkit for. Yeah. And that's so true. Um, and to your point, my, uh, I'm the last of six kids and my parents were married over 50 years before we lost my father. Uh, but every one of us kids has been married and divorced at least once. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, I know my mom's like, what did we do wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. We just, but you know, you, you get married for different reasons. You get married at different times of your life. You marry, you know, you, you uh, date people in different situations, but a lot of times it's, it's not about really going into it with a well thought out plan of how you're going to be a couple over the long term. Well, you know, the, my more pragmatic self thinks that it is the most important, biggest business deal of your life. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you feel this way since you run a business and so do I, I am exceptionally choosy about the partners I bring into my business because right. they cost me a lot of time and energy if we're not on the same wavelength. And when I think about marriage, you know, and one of the tools that I, I often will give to my clients is for free is this checklist I made where it's like, these are the issues you need to look at before you enter into a marriage. And they're everything from, does this person have a history of addiction? Will they go into some kind of personal transformation work? Do they believe in God? You know, all these things that we really should be thinking about when we're taking on a business partner for what should be the biggest spiritual, emotional uh, journey of our entire existence. Mm -hmm. But I think we get so swept up by the emotionality of it that it's hard for us to look pragmatically. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's even built into the structure of, you know, when women have sex with men, we release oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin. So we get flooded and almost drugged with chemicals that mm -hmm. make it hard for us to be as pragmatic and business-minded as we should be, I think. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm just not going to say anything more about that. Um, <laughs> I guess I shocked your potential. <laughs> shocked my potential. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it really, I mean, just even coming back to the fact my, uh, my son uh, is just about to turn 30. Um, actually, by the time this airs, he will turn 30. And um, he is, is uh, getting to the point where there's going to be a wedding in, in the future. If I have to rust, you know, lasso them both, I, it's going to happen. I will make this happen. Uh, but actually his, uh, his girlfriend is just an incredibly lovely person, but it's interesting that one of the things the two of them have been doing over the last two years that they've been living together is that they've been going through kind of like this checklist. I don't know where they got it, but some book that's asked, making them ask questions like, so what are your values with money? You know, what, what's in, how many, you know, how many children would you want to have? You know, do you want to mow the lawn on the weekends or do you want to relax? I mean, um, just really some important questions. And I know they've had some difficult discussions with it, but I'm so proud of them for doing it because I mean, that takes guts and it takes a lot of work, but I think the payoff could be incredibly valuable. Well, you know, I, what I think is amazing is I'm seeing a younger generation, um, millennials, really looking at marriage and relationship differently than their parents or their, our, maybe our generation looked at it. And I think that's super cool and super exciting. And when I talked 
about my work with younger people, they are so lit up. It's like they're on the same wavelength completely. And I think that's really great because, you know, to your point, when you were saying that, you know, no one makes us take a, a test to become parents. The mm. thing is, is that the way your parents, their relationship and the way they parent you has such a psychological imprint on your ability to attach later in life to other people, your ability to enter into loving relationships. And that's a large bulk of the clients I work with. You know, many of the women who come to me, they're exceptionally successful in their career life. They're exceptionally intelligent and they're having a hard time in relationships. And usually what I find is because on some level, on some part of their subconscious uh, mind, they're afraid of relationships because they witnessed maybe their parents fighting. They witnessed mm -hmm. the unavailability of their father. They witnessed the emotional volatility of their mother. And that makes it very hard for them to believe in love and marriage and go into that institution securely. So, yes. you know, really we have to restructure the entire framework. Otherwise we're gonna have a generation of people who are not only achieving like loving relationships for themselves, but creating a template for children to be raised in, in a way where children are not being almost um, socialized towards conflict and trauma. Because mm -hmm. that's the other thing that happens, right? When we see fighting, we think, oh, we should be fighting all the time and we should be escalating conflict. And it's normal to just walk away the minute someone doesn't agree with you. And mm -hmm. The whole yeah. nine yards, you know? Yeah. So many, so many levels. Um, I know we're going to dive a little deeper into this. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be here, here from our sponsor and we will be right back. Top Dog Learning Group LLC is a leadership change management and diversity inclusion consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida, but with top doggers, AKA consultants throughout North America and beyond. They focus on training programs, both virtual and face-to-face, keynotes and lunch and learns, group and one-on-one -on -one coaching, and off-the-shelf solutions. One such solution is their masterclass on the top three strategies to be resilient in times of change. This thoughtful self-paced online training will guide you through three tactics you can use immediately, not just to survive, but to thrive when change comes at you. Use the code RESIL50OFF for 50% off the program. Just go to bit.ly forward slash 3A5MLS6 and enter the code RESIL50OFF in all capitals to redeem your 50% off coupon. The link and code will be available in our show notes as well for easy access. Learn more today at topdoglearning.learningworlds.com. And we are back with Monica Preek and... Um, there's just so many levels of complexity of this. And, you know, all month long, I'm focusing on how we can each take better care of ourselves emotionally and mentally um, to make sure that we can be resilient through a lot of different situations. Um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts in terms of how you work with your clients to help them build that kind of, you know, self-love and self-care and, and use that as a guiding force for themselves? You know, it's so many tools, really. You know, I like to primarily work on the psychological level. So mm -hmm. what are the beliefs you have about yourself? Where did those beliefs come from? Where are they incorrect? 
And how can I actually give you practical tools to raise up yourself emotionally? And a big part of what I teach is reparenting, which is basically if you didn't have a loving mother or father who esteemed you, how can you begin to be that for yourself? And, you know, as, as easy as that sounds, that's a process. It takes actually a long time to really learn how to love yourself in a way that the voices in your head quiet down mm -hmm. and the insecurities quiet down. And, you know, I like working with women um, primarily. I do have male clients, but I like working with women because I, I believe that our relationship with ourselves is the our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves are the two primary relationships we have to work on. And when those are really good, the outer world reflects our relationship with ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when we're insecure in our relationship with ourselves, we tend to enter into a lot of insecure relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of my process working with clients is really giving them the tools to love themselves. You know, we talk so much about self-love now. And as much as I really believe in massages and yoga class and Reiki and all these <laughs> modalities, you know, I think they're part of a holistic toolkit. And the biggest and most complex part of that toolkit is rewiring the patterns in which your brain thinks Yes. And giving you new patterns where you can begin to talk to yourself and esteem yourself in a very different way. Um, mm. So that's, you know, that's my two cents about it. I, I think that everyone in America should get mandatory mental health care. I think yeah. it should be as destigmatized as the gym and healthy eating. And I think that it should be, you know, something that we really value and teach from elementary school onwards. Yeah, I agree. Um, I later understood in life that I um, have, that I suffer from depression at times and I've, I had it in under control for a long time now. Um, I found it through obviously from, you know, uh, mental health counseling and, and um, opportunities like that. Um, but also I found it through eating right. When I learned that I'm hypoglycemic and when I'm not taking care of my blood sugar, um, I, my, my, uh, depression can come back and, and very seriously. And, um, but when I first experienced this, it was pre Prozac, you know, so no one knew about depression. Nobody was talking about depression. And it's really interesting because to this day, <clears throat> my family, and I've raised by an incredibly loving family, you know, six kids, great parents, you know, just great life, fab fabulous thing. None of them I was adopted. I'm the only one that's adopted. Oh, wow. None of them uh, believe me that I was suicidal. And it's none really of them believe you really. No. Yep. They just say, well, you, you, you don't, you weren't, you just didn't feel good or you weren't happy or you, you were choosing to be unhappy. And it's really interesting because we still have these dialogues and you know, my mom why and I, do they do that. I wonder why they have to recreate your narrative for you. I don't know. I've always wondered. And that finally, at some point in time, I just stopped arguing with them about it because it didn't matter anymore with them. Yeah. Um, but uh, I had to get to that point. But it was really interesting that I then did feel so alone because we didn't talk about it as a culture. That wasn't, you know, yeah. you didn't have a count. Actually, there was a counselor when I went to college. You know, that's kind of where I finally started, you know, finding some, some solutions. But 
you know, now I think at least if we're, you know, some of the things like teaching mindfulness to kindergartners, you know, and, you know, we're, we're taking more time, I think, to look and try and really help people reflect on where they are mentally and emotionally. I hope that gets better because you're right. If, when we get to the point where everybody has that just as a part of their normal um, self-care, you know, somebody to talk to, some way to be able to process their emotions, um, that that will be a much better day and world I think we would all live in. Well, you know, I think that one of the, um, one of the really big things that I see happening now is people talking so openly about their emotional struggles and also, you know, I mean, I see people talking about like, yeah, I go to therapy once a week. I go to therapy Mm -hmm. every day. I think Chris Rock recently said like, I go to therapy every day. And, you know, something that I talk a lot about, I've had a ton of therapy and I felt that therapy for me was, it was the same as the gym, meaning that it was conditioning Mm -hmm. my mind to figure out how I was the cause of many of the problems I was experiencing. Right. right? Either my lack of boundaries or my inability to put consequences on bad behavior or me not taking enough agency of my life and saying, you know what? I don't like this job. I don't like this career. I'm going to move myself into a new one. And the thing is, is that I think any big life change, life change could be having a baby, getting married, um, having a parent die, having a spouse die, having an illness, losing a job, having a health scare. So all of the things that we're seeing right now at acute levels in the pandemic, you know, I think that oftentimes we need someone to coach us through mm-hmm. transition and that what we're taught is, oh, these transitions are so easy. You know, one of my friends said to me recently, Um, how jealous she was of me because, you know, with my business, I have a digital business so I can travel around the world and keep working. And I said to her, I go, yeah, but I've been doing that for seven years and I've been coached through the whole way. Like that was not, you see a flicking on of a light switch in a new life. What you don't see is all the hours of work to build my psychology to make that change. Right. Absolutely how hard it's been and how many times I, you know, wasn't suicidal, but many, many times I felt like I was hanging on by my fingernails emotionally, mm-hmm. even yeah. though the outside looked great, oh, yeah. right? There was no way to see what was inside going on. And I think, you know, that's one of the challenges right now where we're at also with social media is it's built a culture of look how great my life is. Mm -hmm. And then you can have a real disconnection when your life doesn't feel that great, you know, while you're scrolling the feed. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. And it it really does play a a role on, I think people's definitely on people's psyche and their sense of self-worth. And, you know, even though logically they might say, I realized that picture on Instagram probably was the 96th selfie that they took of themselves. And that was the one that, that they said looks right. But at the same time, the way it looks and presents tells us that we're not that. And that creates a disconnect that, that, that leads, I think, more to that negative self-talk. And, and you're right. There's just times I actually don't, I don't use social media the way I used to. And I really only use it for my business now. Uh-huh. Except for every once in a while when I'll see somebody on Facebook, you know, that I want to cheer on, you know, now I'm like, if I see somebody that, that, uh, you know, is negative, or if, you know, if I think that, you know, 
maybe I don't want to see where they're on that yeah. yacht today. I scroll yeah. past them a little faster. Yeah. Well, but- I went off social media completely seven months ago, including mm-hmm. taking my business off social media. I decided that I was going to build a business kind of the old fashioned way of real relationship building and personal referrals and, you know, all of that. And that was a super scary move for me because everyone was telling me that it was basically self-annihilation, right? That I was going (laughs) to kill my business and everything else. But I realized for me, I don't want to get on a pulpit teaching about emotional and mental health using a vehicle that is statistically proven to cause more loneliness, depression, and anxiety than yeah. we've ever experienced in, in you know, world history. And in addition to that, you know, that we know these things about what it does to democracy and free market capitalism. And I just thought, you know what, it's hard to make good decisions, but I always feel that you have to follow what makes you personally feel good. And mm-hmm. when something doesn't feel good anymore, you either change the way you have a relationship with it, yep. like you did, Or like for me, you just say, you know what, I'm going to opt out of this because for me and taking care of myself, it's not a good way to take care of myself, but you know, it's hard. It is. And I do get a kick out of it. Everyone, I have a few friends that all of a sudden will post something on Facebook and say, I'm shutting down all social media and Facebook for a while. I just need to take a mental break and I'll be back in a few months. And then they're like back a week later. interesting because you have to understand that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, when he created Facebook, and I'm sure you've seen like some of these documentaries, they use Pavlovian psychological techniques to hook you into the technology. So, you know, if you're a free thinking person like me, you know, the whole point of psychotherapy is to deprogram your mind from being socialized to think in a certain way. So I'm like, I'm certainly not going to let technology be like my new big brother that teaches me how to behave. You know what I mean? And then rings a bell when I behave in the appropriate fashion. Well, you know, and it's interesting too. I know we're almost done here, but I was thinking, and this was pre-pandemic, but it was not too, I think it was supposed to be for all of 2020. And I can't remember what company um, was going to pay somebody. They were going to give them a million dollars if they um, <clears throat> traded in all, you know, their, their smartphone <clears throat> for just a flip phone and to be completely off social media for a year. I can't I remember. I would have totally coming. done it. I, I, so- I would have done it because I was like the last person to give up a flip phone. And do you know how many people harassed me for that? And I, and it's funny because one time I went out with a guy and he put his flip phone on the table. And I was like, it's like, we're two soulmates that found each other. And it was like, so weird because we really were like soulmates, but it was like the flip phone was the, (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I can't remember what company was it, but then you had to submit, you know, to, to try and get picked. And I remember after, you know, obviously I didn't get picked and my husband goes, well, why don't you do it anyway? I mean, you could do it. And that would be a great, like, you know, something that you could show as your year long, you know, whatever document yourself doing it. And I said, nah. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, that's such a great idea. Well, you know, I'm kind of doing it because I'm trying to actually, um, you know, I've been studying a lot of productivity hacks. And one of them is I realized like notifications, how much they take you out of a flow state, right? And how much technology can also be energetically draining. So if you're really moving into like higher realms of consciousness, where you want to vibrate at higher levels, 
you're kind of looking at everything that you and I are talking about from the food you consume, yeah, the inflammatory agents in the food you consume. So like mm-hmm. I've given up um, gluten and sugar and um, processed foods and mm-hmm. all these agents. And then you're looking also at technology's impact, you know, and something because I study the mind so much um, and I have a really quite robust and deep meditation practice. I noticed when I first went off social media, how much it had shortened my attention span, how much I had been programmed for some kind of external validation that had to be instantaneous and mm-hmm. how much I had been programmed to not kind of be able to sit with myself quietly, that I was constantly searching for, and I think the phone does the same thing, but I was yeah. constantly searching for something to entertain me and then having to pull myself back to a place of being like, well, you know what? I can sit with myself. <laughs> I can read a book. I can do these yeah. things I used to do in the past. And I can turn off technology and actually allow my brain to quiet down and reboot itself. So I can think through more difficult problems or I can have more bursts of creativity, you know, but once you start to study the interplay, it's really, it's quite um, detrimental, I think, for people who are trying to be creative and um, work at a higher vibrational level. Yeah, I totally agree. I know that, um, after next week, I've been, we've been working on a lot of big projects in my company and um, it's time for me to get back to finishing my next business book and finishing my novel because I've been working on a novel. And <clears throat> so once I get started on that again, then I, I set times during the day. So the email's off, the phone is off, it's turned upside down. So I can't even see those notifications co- coming through, but I put the timer on my phone for 45 minutes and I write for 45 minutes. And then if I'm still, you know, if it goes off and I'm flowing and I can still have time, I'll just pause it and just keep going until a stop point. But those moments are so highly effective for me, but it probably takes me 10 minutes to get into it because it's almost like your brain is shutting down, not waiting for that next ding or that next notification yeah. to light up. So, it's, But you can see it, right? You can yep. see it in yourself and it kind of yep. is, it's scary. Right. It's scary because I was always a very minimal user of social media. I had it for my business, um, but it wasn't something I was that keyed into. And even just as a minimal user, how much it changed the way I operate and how much I could even feel like when I was going on it, I could feel my vibration coming down. Like Mm -hmm. I could feel my mood sinking And something I always say to my clients, you know, my clients will come to me and they'll say, well, do you think I should go off social media? Especially when they're working through, let's say they've had a big trauma or loss and they're struggling with grief. So my job is basically to pull them up, pull their vibration up by giving them a host of tools. And I'll say to them, well, you know, really what you should be doing is turning off anything in your life whether it's a person, whether it's an activity, whether it's social media, whether it's the television, the news that doesn't make you feel good yeah. because you have to figure out how to feel good first. And the thing is, is when I tell them, you know, go on it and do you feel good? Every single one of them tells me, yeah, you know, I was scrolling on it for 15 minutes and I could feel how bad I felt at the end. Mm. Yeah. But the thing is, I think we are becoming so disconnected from our own feelings Mm -hmm. or we become used to feeling bad that we can't experience the contrast of like what it is to feel good every day, you know? Right. 
Right. I think that's, it's very telling. My goodness, we could talk about this all day long. And uh, I know we'll have all your contact information on our show notes, but won't have any social media links. But uh, in case somebody wants to look you up right now, because they think you may be the answer to what they need to find to increase their vibration, what's the best way for them to find you? So there's only one way to find me and it's my website, which is schooloflovenyc.com, schooloflovenyc.com. I love it. Now, before we go, Monica, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? I would say that the more you work on yourself, the better your life reality becomes. So as opposed to asking for life to change, ask Mm. for you to change. Mm. So true. Not easy, but it's the only way to to know because it's the only thing you can control is you. (laughs) I love it. Monica, thank you so much for being my guest today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. I really, I had a blast being here. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.